Welcome to Destiny Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Eric Smith. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit DestinyDayton.com. Turn to John chapter 12, 1 through 11. If you want to go ahead and stand with me for the reading of God's word. My sermon title today is Extravagant Worship, which we already started that this morning. I love the songs that they picked this morning because they're going to play in a little bit to what we're talking about today. This morning, we're going to learn a valuable lesson from a lady in Scripture that knew how to worship. She knew how to worship extravagantly. She knew how to love. She knew the love that had been given to her from above. She knew what she had been forgiven of. She didn't just have head knowledge. She didn't, uh, it went from her head all the way down to her heart. And it affected the way that she worshiped. Her religion, her spirituality, her faith wasn't just something that she did to make herself feel better or to check a box or to feel less guilty. Her faith became her and affected everything that she did and affected her worship. Before we read this today, my hope and prayer for you guys today is that when you walk away today, you will realize more of what you've been forgiven of. That it won't just be in the head, (laughs) but it'll be deep down in the heart, and it'll affect every area of your life. It'll affect the way you speak, the way you talk, the way you act, and it'll affect the way you worship. That's my hope for us today, all of us, myself that it won't just be up here because we know it. We've been taught it. We've maybe even from a, little bit, from a little kid know the grand old story. But has it really taken root in our heart? Does it affect us the way that we're going to see that it affects this lady here? Let us pray. God, we thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, your word would come alive in us, that this word would take root that nothing would steal it away, that no weeds would be in the way to choke it out, but, Lord, that it would uh, bear fruit a hundredfold. The words spoken today, the scriptures spoken out, wouldn't just go in one ear and out the other, Lord, but it would bear deep fruit. Lord, we pray, God, that your what you've done would not become old, it would not become rote, but it would be alive in us every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took, took a pi- about a pint of pure nard An expensive perfume. I think I'm reading from the NIV here. Um, She poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why hasn't this perfume sold? Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? And it was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. 
As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, came not only because of uh, Lazarus, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Amen. You may be seated. Again, the story, the, the title of my sermon today is Extravagant Worship. This is a beautiful story of a lady who is known as Mary, worships out of the deep parts of her heart and pours expensive oil on Jesus. This story doesn't only appear in John, it happens to also appear in all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, And to me, that is significant because it's almost like the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, Pay attention to this. Anytime you see a story that's repeated that many times, maybe not just in one place or two places, but you have it in all four Gospels, pay attention to that. Not, the, not saying that the rest of the Bible is not to pay attention to, but those stories are particularly important. The Holy Spirit saying, look at this. And something, though, that's interesting is if you look at the Luke translation or the Luke story, which I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I, when I was praying for this this week, I specifically felt there are some people here that need to hear this. It doesn't necessarily apply to my story today, but I feel the Holy Spirit wants to speak something to you. Is It is important to know that when you find uh, what appears to be discrepancies, because when you look at Luke, the, the account in Luke, it looks a little different than the other three. The other three take place right before uh, the Last Supper, towards the end of his ministry. But when you look at the account in Luke, it takes place right in the middle of his ministry. Some people think, oh, it's just a different story. But then other people think, no, it is the same story, just putting out of order. And I know that when there's other accounts like that, other stories or other little interesting little details that when you read long enough, when you get to be fluent in the Old Testament and New Testament, you get to see apparent contradictions. And to some people, that rubs them the wrong way. I know some people that have used that and been like, you know what? There's too many contradictions in the Bible. I can't trust it. But what I'm here to tell you today is if you make yourself faithful to studying the word and not give up, not get a chip on your shoulder and be like, man, this is dumb. This, there's too many contradictions. How can this possibly be? Is to continue to press in and not give up and, and look for the answers or even look at other people and what they found because there's a lot of people that are smarter than us. And I'm not saying you're dumb. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that are smarter than us that have found answers to some of these apparent contradictions. The reason I say that is because especially with Easter coming up in about seven weeks, it never fails. There's always some Yahoo out there that will put, oh, you know, here's some evidence against the resurrection or evidence against this or evidence against that. And, get, you know, for some people can get their minds wondering, well, is it true? Is it true? Could it be? And I'm just here to say, stay faithful 
to reading the word and looking for the answers. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to have questions, but don't give up. The answers are there. I trust you. They'll work themselves out. The longer you study, the longer you look into it, you will find it. I feel that's for someone here today that needs that. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. My hope also, I know I already said this, but my hope and prayer is also that in reading the word of God, I hope you guys read it daily. I tell my kids this all the time. We feed our, we feed our mouth every day with food. Whether it's once a day or three times a day, our bellies get food, especially here in America. But our spirit needs food as well. I tell them that's why I have you read the word every day is because whether you realize it or not, your spirit needs food. It needs that word. It needs that time with Jesus. And when you notice, when you start acting up and when you start feeling, doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing, that's just a response of you being spiritually hungry. My hope and prayer for you today is that when you read the word of God, it'll become alive and active in you. And it'll cause a response in your life, not just reading it and be like, all right, I checked the box. I did my lesson plan today on, you know, the you version of the Bible. But that it does something in your heart. It elicits a response. Pastor Eric has regularly quoted uh, Bill Johnson, who says any study of the Bible that doesn't lead you to an encounter with the Holy Spirit and I'm going to also add in transformation only serves to make you more religious. When you guys read the Bible, my hope and prayer is that it will light you up like a Christmas tree and it will elicit a response in every area of your life. When we look up the word extravagant in Webster's Dictionary, it says exceeding the limits of reason or necessity. Lacking in moderation balance or restraint extremely or excessively elaborate. When you read that, it almost in some ways sounds like a negative word, something maybe not to be sought after. But in a little bit, we'll talk about Mary and how when she had excess and when people in the room thought it was excess and not necessary, when they thought it was extremely elaborate or not in balance, Jesus didn't seem to think that. He thought otherwise. When Pastor Eric and Julie and I and my wife, we went to Arizona, you could, if you weren't ready for it, you could deduce that maybe the things that they were doing were excessive. I know they've had criticism of that, the church in Arizona where the revival is at called Fresh Start. They've been criticized of, oh, does it really take all that? And they would regularly even say and shout in the mic, you're probably wondering, does it really take all that? Does it really take all this, all the, all the shouting, all the dancing, all the jumping, all the pressing in for long periods of time? And they would overwhelmingly say, yes, it is. And they can prove it because of all the testimonies they've had of people, of people who were formers, former addicts who said when they came into the presence of God, it was so thick. They didn't have to have anyone pray for them because God himself prayed over them and set them free. Extravagance is definitely needed in the body of Christ because for far too long we've been on the far opposite. So many churches you come to feel like you've just walked into a funeral. People just standing there paying my homage, paying my 
<laughs> paying my duty, paying my respects. We don't want that here. <laughs> we want the king of kings to show up every day because when he shows up, the, the one who is the light of the world, darkness has to flee. <laughs> this morning, I want to give you four points from today's passage that tells us, that talks to us about extravagant worship. Point number one is it's costly. With the information from all four accounts, we can see that Mary came with an alabaster jar, which I was really trying to get one. I mean, I think I could have got it as a little late. It cost me about 25 bucks. Probably was an imitation one. You know, I think I'd have been kind of cool, you know, pour out some natural oil. What is that? What's those things you put in the diffusers? Essential oils. Then I thought maybe the whole room would get filled up. Then people would end up leaving. Like, I can't take it. (laughs) She had an alabaster jar filled with a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume worth a whole year's wage. For one, can you imagine owning something that is worth a whole year's wage outside of your house? I mean... The most that I've ever seen personally for a, perf- for a cologne and that I'm expiring to actually get someday, I'm going to have to work a few extra shifts, is a, is a cologne called Creed Adventus. It's like five, 600 bucks. I know, it sounds nuts. It is the best cologne I've ever smelled in my entire life. It actually made my head turn. I was like, wow. I actually went and talked to the guy. I said, hey, man, what are you wearing? And he told me. When you think about a whole giving a whole year's wage away or giving something away that's worth a whole year's salary, how does that make you feel? What is your first reaction inside? I don't know about you, but I'm going to be honest with myself. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can do that. For one, I don't have that. <laughs> and if I did, I can't fully fathom giving it yet. And I say yet. If that's you too, we got to ask ourselves, why is that? Why do we have that inside? Is there a limit to the amount that we should give God? Because I tell you what, there wasn't a limit to the amount that he gave us. He gave us his son. Speaking again for myself, I think if I had, when I think about giving lots of money or if I, you know, in relation to my budget or if I think about just giving my whole bank account, it cringes inside almost, and I'm, I'm just being real with you because my, my first thought is, is like, man, that took a long time to save up. How long is that going to take me to save that up again? Not, not saying that's a good, but I'm saying that's maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe you have those same thoughts. I'm hoping we can get rid of those thoughts today. Amen. Mary, on the other hand, seemed not to care about those type things. Those type of thoughts were in her mind. What it cost her made no difference. Her act of devotion was very costly. It was also an unusual act because she not only poured oil on Jesus' head and feet, which if you read all four accounts, you'll see that he poured on the head and feet. She poured on his head and feet, which was normally just poured on people's head to declare kingship or also for people for burial. But she also wiped his feet, an action normally done by a servant. She was 
not only letting it, willing to let it cost her money, but she was also willing to let it cost her her self-image, her personal image, by taking the lowly place as a servant down at his dirty feet. And yes, Jesus probably had dirty feet like the rest of them, stinky, dirty feet. Also, not only that, she wiped his feet with her hair. I don't know if you're thinking what I'm thinking, but man, that means my face, my nose is going to be right up in those feet. And who knows, he could have stepped in some nice donkey stuff right before he came in the door. And also, not even that, even more, a respectable woman did not unbind her hair in public. So to wash his feet and her hair, she had to let her hair down. Thus, she had to humble herself even more. If Mary was with us this morning, I believe that she would have no limits to her worship. No borders, no worry about who's washed, watching, especially if we met her post-cross. She did all that pre-cross. But to meet her post-cross and post-resurrection, she'd probably be even more ecstatic. So how about you? All of us are on this side of the cross and we know what God has done for us, what the wonderful salvation he has bring. What are we willing to let it cost us to express, express appreciation for such a great salvation? We can't earn or buy salvation, but because he gives his grace to us so freely, it should spark an overwhelming response inside of us. One that may seem extravagant and unusual. You hear pastors say, I'm ready for some unusual to pop up in here. <laughs> Let's do it. We have to, we just have to let go of pride and the fear of man and give God what he is due and what he also desires, undignified worship. Second point is extravagant worship is accepted by God. People may wonder, what does God think about all this? Does he really think worshiping extravagantly is good or needed or necessary? And the answer is yes, he does like it. Looking in Matthew 25, which you, don't, you can turn there later, Matthew 25, 10 through 13, we see Jesus say she was a, this, that she has done a beautiful thing to me. As well as I tell you the truth. Whoever this gospel is preached, when, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus thought this unusual expression, an excess expression of, of love and worship was beautiful. So much that he wanted to make sure it was remembered wherever the gospel was preached. Basically saying, A.K. Don't forget this. This is important. Emulate this. I want you to catch this just as much as you catch the gospel. Wherever the gospel is preached and accepted, you should see this example, example taking place. God seems to like it and won't stop it when things are done in excess to him. An example there's a lot is in uh, first Chronicles 29 when 
uh, King David encouraged people by his own giving. He gave extravagantly financial gifts towards the dedication of the temple, and it spurred the rest of the people to do the same. God also seems to like things that have a pleasing aroma to him, which is very interesting that the act of worship that Mary was doing was something that created a strong smell in the room, one of the accounts say, filling the whole place around her. We see throughout the Bible in many places certain sacrifices were a pleasing aroma to God, meaning he enjoyed it, he liked it, he wanted more of it. Exodus twenty nine eighteen says, then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, an offering made to the Lord by fire. It's not that God really had a hankering for ram that day at that moment, but what he was really pleased was really pleasing to him was that the entire ram was given, which was a symbolic uh, symbolic of the priest's total dedication. When you read that chapter, it's about the dedication of the priest. When you worship like Mary did without fear or of others of what it cost, it shows total dedication to the Lord and not to this world. He likes it. It's a pleasing aroma. Also, even more, Leviticus 1.9 says, uh, referring to Aaron's sons, arranging the pieces of a sacrifice, you're to wash uh, the the internal organs and the and the legs with water and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. I find interesting that was part of our prophetic words today in, in worship. Giving all, it's a burnt offering, offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Also, Second Samuel six fourteen, wearing a, a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets. We know God liked it because he even rebuked David's wife later when she tried to stop him and rebuke him. Second Corinthians two fourteen through 15. But thanks be to God who always leads us captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are a pleasing aroma, church, of Christ and to Christ. When we dance, shout, live holy, give extravagantly unto the Lord in spirit and in truth. God enjoys it when we, in passion, pour ourselves like a drink offering because it shows total dedication and obedience. Also in second, in that second Corinthians uh, chapter two verse, it shows that we are a pleasing because we're being a pleasing aroma. The area around us is affected as affected. When you worship extravagantly, others see it and it builds their faith in them to worship extravagantly. When we were in Arizona, it wasn't hard to worship, was it? It wasn't hard to worship with all our might and worship extravagantly before the Lord because everyone else around us was dancing, shouting, worshiping with all their might. Their faith built my faith to just go for it. It created a beautiful unity, a unity of extravagant worship. 
Yet despite that, there were still people that criticized them and still people that still criticize all that, what they consider excess. Is it really that worth it? Is it really, do we really need to do all that? Which brings me to point number three, extravagant worship is hated by religious people. We see in all four accounts, her actions elicited an angry and annoyed response from among the people in the room, except for Jesus. Verse 8 of Matthew 26 says, when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. That's a tough word, indignant. That means they were ticked off. Why this waste, a.k.a. does it really take all this? They asked, this perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. In fact, if you look at look in Luke 14, that account, it says they rebuked her harshly. Does that sound familiar to anything today in today's church? Christians today, do we really need to have the music that loud? Do we really need to worship that long? Do we really need to do four songs and then preach? That's too valuable a time to worship that long. We could be listening to more preaching. A two to three hours long service? Who does that? My church does one hour service and that seems good enough. Well, thank God I don't go to your church. Usually those negative responses by religious people are simply them manifesting demonic demons inside them because they see the power of God right before them and it elicits a demonic response in them. When you look in the verse 6 of John 12, it says that Judas did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to love helping himself to what was put in it. Mary's extravagant worship caused him to manifest. The thieving, greedy spirit inside of him was ticked off and manifested. And it even convicted him, but it didn't do, he didn't make the right choice. Instead, he thumbed his nose up, went the other way, and dug deeper into his sin, and then was... And an alias, if you would, in murder. (laughs) Some of you here and especially watching online, I'm going to say that as well, may unfortunately relate to this. When you see people dance or shout or do unusual stuff in worship, it gets under your skin. It irritates you. The question is why? Why would you get upset at someone who is getting free who is loving what God has done, who's got it deep down in their heart. They're recognizing, man, the Lord has forgiven me. The Lord has set me free, and I'm going to show him love. I'm going to show him appreciation. I'm going to show everything I got, because before I had nothing, but now I have everything, and I'm going to give him worship. I'm going to give him praise. Someone shout hallelujah. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Most people seem fine with just showing up to church and have the same somber, lifeless demeanor as if they were showing up to a funeral. Yet when they show up to a Bengals Super Bowl game, somebody, 
Come on now. When they show up to a Bengals Super Bowl game, they lose their stuff. They should go hog wild. In fact, if there was a meter, he got, you have some type of loudness meter, don't you? Or if there was something equivalent to that, that you could see how loud it was, it would be off the charts. It would be in the red. It should be the same in church here. How is it the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord of heaven's armies, the light of the world, the beginning and the end, when he lays our, his life down for us, it should put that needle in the red. It should put that shout meter in the red. Extravagant. Thank you, sister. The extravagant worship comes from deep love is point number four. Extravagant worship comes from deep love. Or you could say deep love produces extravagant worship, passion-filled worship. In Luke's account of the woman anointing Jesus, Jesus responds to the negativity in the room regarding the woman and her worship. You can read this later in Luke 7. I encourage you to do it. Now, when the Pharisees who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this was, who this woman is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Some, I'm going to stop right there for a second. Some historians think that the person, that Pharisee, if you look, let me back up. If you look in the other three accounts, it tells where Jesus was. It says he was in Bethany and it was, he was with, he was with, it was in the town of Lazarus. And some accounts say he was in the house of Simon the leper. Some people think that, that, that Simon the leper and the Pharisee are synonymous. And so you got to think a man that was forgiven, a man that was healed, a man that was set free. If it really was Simon the leper, I don't, I, I can't say a hundred percent for sure, but there are some people that are suggesting that. How could he say such a thing? How can we say such a thing when we've been forgiven a high price, but when someone is extravagantly worshiping, how dare we say such a thing? And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debt debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I have entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with with ointment. Therefore, I tell you. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She loved much. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's face it. People don't worship extravagantly because they're not that in love. They're not that stoked about God. 
Christianity for many, I think, is a religion to make themselves feel less guilty or is a family cultural thing that they just identify with. Or they've maybe even been sold a wrong gospel because uh, that's, that's, that's so bad right now. They were sold a weak gospel that doesn't even mention repentance. Possibly for them, coming to know God was not a supernatural experience where they actually meet the maker of heaven and earth. And they feel where they feel his presence. It's through these type of encounters that people realize he is holy and I am not. And I need his grace and mercy that he freely gives. Thus, who has been forgiven much loves much. I feel for many Christians, we have forgotten both the weight, the weight of what he saved us from, as well as what he saved us into. For we were saved from a life, a life of hell, y'all. We were a life of eternally being away from him forever. We were forgiven a massive debt of sin that we could never repay. The parable of the unmerciful servant, you can read that later in Matthew 18, shows that the debt was, equi- uh, was equivalent to 10,000 talents, which I did some reading. And some people on the high side thought that it, that could be equal today to $6 billion. To put it another way, one talent was possibly equal to 20 years of work then. So 10,000 talents were equal to 200,000 years of work. We were saved from a lot. No matter if you were even raised as a Christian or if you were not, the Bible shows us that compared to God, there is no one righteous. There's not even one. For all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Thus you too were saved from a massive spiritual debt. 1 Peter 1 shows us that we, what we were saved into. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never sp- perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Then skipping to verse 8, it says, Through you, you have seen him. You love, though you have not seen him, you love him. And, you, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled. Say filled. With an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end results of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Because of his great mercy, we were saved from our old sinful life into a new birth, into a new living hope, a hope that we will spend forever with him, a hope that he has taken all of our sin and put it as far as the east is from the west and forgets it no more. That is a good hope. When we grasp that, it'll make us want to dance to the moon. When we grasp it in here, not here, but in here.
a part of American church having revival is us seeing, as Pastor, or as Pastor Ray Kwan said last week, seeing sin as sin. Not justifying it, but owning up to it. And seeing it disgusting as it is. Thus seeing the need for a mighty Savior. That seeing the need for a mighty Savior and, and being thankful for what he did will move us to worship with our all. With our all. Extravagant worship involves giving all and wishing to give even more. I recognize that not everyone can jump. I recognize that not everyone can dance. I recognize that not everyone can shout or give extravagant or give large amounts. But the question is, is your heart tilted in that direction? Even if you can't jump, even if you're in a wheelchair, is your heart still jumping? Is your heart still shouting? Is your heart still wanting to give extravagantly? Because extravagant worship starts right here. It starts in this secret place at home. You can come here and emulate that. And it feel dry and empty. But because of spending that time in the secret place and it getting bigger and bigger and bigger of oh God, I thank you that you saved me. Thank you that you showed up when you did. You won't have to force yourself to jump and shout. Even if you are bound to a wheelchair, you can live extravagantly holy because that takes no physical effort at all. The more we fall in love with him, the more it will elicit a response in us. I'll say it again. The more we fall in love with him, the more it will elicit a response in us. It'll change the way you worship, the way you speak, the way you talk, <laughs> the way you see, the way you make decisions, the way you choose to radically live holy. Especially when no one understands why we do that, why when they don't understand why we don't watch certain movies or listen to certain music or play certain video games or don't go hang in certain places. That's the beginning of extravagant worship. Would you stand with me now and bow your heads as we prepare to enter into a time of worship through taking communion, which Pastor Eric will lead us here in a few seconds. Intimately knowing your need for a savior and falling more in love with him will change how you view communion. The juice will no longer be juice. And I'm not saying like the Catholics, I'm not digging, dissing the Catholics, but it ain't, I'm not saying it's going to become the blood. Juice will no longer become the juice, but it will be a glorious reminder of the high price he has paid for that large debt. <laughs> And gave you a magnificent new covenant of life. My hope and prayer again for us is that as you take communion, as you read the scriptures, it will cause you to want to dance. It won't just be words. Even doubts or questions that you have, you won't, you will fly over them. Not saying that you shouldn't look into them, but because you're so intimately wanting to know more of him. No matter what you read or no matter what questions you get. You intimately want to take those words and allow them to know him more, to speak to him, to do what he says, to be with him, to be in his presence. Hallelujah. Jesus, I pray right now as we come to take worship, Lord, that you would wreck us in Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This message and other resources are available at DestinyDayton.com.